Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Um, we're doing this series. We're in week two of a series called Dear Stand Confessions. And it's uh, this whole sermon series has been birthed out of uh, really experiences that I personally had over the last couple of years um, when I was in a deer stand. Get that. And today's content is something that really st- I struggled with and it really culminated one day that I was sitting in a stand, and it seems like if you're if you've hunted or done it, maybe uh, you've hunted or if you heard about hunting, you know that things like have to they like you do things the same way over and over and over. That way, you know, to kind of keep the sm- keep your smell down as far as when you go out into the woods, so the animals don't smell you and don't know you're there and they don't see you. And it was one of those days to where I like went in the stand and everything seemed to have gone wrong. It's like. I pulled my, my hunting clothes out of the dryer, which is a no-no if you're a hunter. You just don't do that because, you know, the, the, the great smell that, that people like um, it, with clean clothes, it's like a dead giveaway for the animals. It's like I pulled my hunting clothes out of the dryer, which is a terrible thing to do on the day, the morning that you're going hunting. And I put my clothes on, and I, like, got everything ready and, like, seemed all out of sorts. I get out to, out to, the, uh, to the area where I'm going to hunt and, like, I accidentally, like, slam the door, which, hello, you know, the element of surprise and being quiet, so that goes wrong. I go into the stand, and then, like, all of a sudden, I'm, like, fumbling around. I've got my gun over my shoulder, and I'm, like, banging it against the ladder as I'm getting into the stand. It's, like, going, it's, everything is going wrong. Like, everything's terrible. And then it was, it's also, like, one of those things I, I, I forgot to do a lot of the things that I had done prior, and I get into the stand, and then automatically, I get all holy. And I... I get in the stand and I'm thinking, Lord, I know nothing's gone right today. I know that everybody, everybody who's in the area knows that I'm here, including all the animals. I know all the animals smell me, but please, in this moment, allow their senses not to work. Allow them not to know that I'm here and all these things. And all of a sudden, I get all holy and sanctified and I start praying what I think and I'm, I'm convinced of was a pathetic prayer. It really was. Because I'm, I'm praying and I'm like, and I'm sitting here and I'm praying these things and I'm like, Lord, I know, blah, 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 blah. And then I just kind of stopped in my tracks and I thought, now, how pathetic is that? And I started to think really personally and I'm like, am I that desperate in prayer in other areas of my life as I am in this moment? Let's be, let's be real. I mean, are we desperate in prayer? Or do we just go about it? trying to do everything and act like we are the, the great I am, like we just sung about. You know, many times, i got to be honest with you, and it's, it's, it's a, a little confession time for me, sometimes I pray the wrong things. I pray self-fulfilling prayers. I pray weak prayers. I pray prayers that are safe, that I can answer later in hopes that, you know, that, that, and, and not really in hopes, but and I rely on my own strength. And I rely on my own way. But the reality is, when we pray, we should, be, we should do so praying to a holy God, trusting in His power and in His strength and not relying upon our own. Last week we talked about, and the big idea for last week, if you missed, is He's God and we're not. There is a God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, and we are not Him. We try to be Him. We try and make things the way that we want to be. We try and create little safe environments, but we are not God. We're not. And yet we go through our life and sometimes we live like we are God. Sometimes we pray prayers that are safe prayers. Like we're afraid, but like we we know that we want to pray. And yet we don't know how to pray. 
And then there's other times where we pray and don't believe. Like we'll go through and we'll pray and we know that we should pray, but yet in the back of our mind, we doubt the very prayers that are coming out of our mouth, but in the back of our mind, at the exact same time, we doubt that what we're saying is actually going to happen. Anyone been in that boat? And that's a sad thing. Praying for me is not the easiest thing in the world, but I know that, it's, that I'm desperate for it. I know that it's needed. And the reason why I know that is because life's hard. Because you'll go through and you'll have dreams that get shattered. You'll, you will go through losses in your life and you will know that you are powerless in that situation. And that you are left, and because of those situations and the circumstance, it drives you to your knees and it forces you to look up to a power that is bigger than you, smarter than you, and stronger than you, and you do so in prayer. And many times, if you're like me, I've just driven down to my knees in weakness so I can look up to a holy God and say, and just repent and say, I'm sorry, I tried to fix it myself. You knew it wouldn't work out. I don't know why I thought it would work out this time, but it's not working out, and I give it to you, God. We go through things in our life that just, just blow up in our face. Many times we, we will go through and we'll pray a prayer knowing that's what we should do and we ought to do and we want to do and then we doubt and then we wonder why it doesn't turn out. Sometimes God wants us to be the answer to that prayer and He wants to, he wants to use our weakness to put in His strength so that we can accomplish that prayer. God uses people. Did you know that? He does. Today's scripture is 2 Corinthians 12. And if there is anyone in the Bible who understands what it's like to operate in their own strength, but be driven down, just be driven to their knees, it's the guy who's basically delivering this message to the church in Corinth. And that's where this letter of the Bible is taken from. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have your Bible... Um, we kind of maybe thought you'd forget it this morning, and we've put some Bibles spread out amongst you in the chairs. And it's cool if you are, haven't been in the Bible for a long time. There's no shame in looking up the table of contents, okay? It's there for a reason. Second Corinthians. Somebody just had hope whenever I gave them victory and said they can look it up in the table of contents. But the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and we've talked about this uh, specifically, so I'm not going to go in, in great detail on uh, as far as the backstory of this letter. But the church in Corinth was a messed up church. They were kind of, if you could do it wrong, they did it wrong twice. And then even after Paul said, hey, you're doing it wrong, they thought, yeah, well, it didn't work out the first time. I'll try it again. So then Paul writes, he wrote uh, several letters. We only know there's only two that are actually put in the Bible. But we do know that he has written more letters than this. And this church was, he had a good relationship with them, but he was very firm in speaking to them. And the Apostle Paul was somebody who, was, who had very, uh, very good credentials. He, he himself was very well trained. Um, in that day, there were two, like, uh, he, was, he was a rabbi himself, but there were two main uh, thoughts of, of rabbinical thought that kind of uh, derived from this area. And it, it was the, the school of Hillel and the school of Gamaliel. Uh, don't ask me to say that again. I don't speak that language very well. Uh, I barely speak uh, the English language. But he was uh, from the school of Gamaliel. And it was a very well-respected school. When people would they, would, they would try to go to these two different schools. But they also knew that if you went to that school, that you already had a great aptitude for learning. 
because they didn't just let anybody into the school. It wasn't a everybody gets a trophy kind of society. It wasn't that, well, the, the doors are open, come on in. Because a rabbi would only go to, in, in that setting, they would only invest in those who were going to reap a big reward. You know what? The amazing thing about our Lord is He invests in everybody. He invests in everybody. He's more concerned with your attitude than your aptitude. He makes the aptitude happen if you bring your attitude to a level of learning before Him and a level of change. So the Apostle Paul, he, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Church is, is messed up. Paul is a learned, he's a trained guy. Um, he's smart. Everybody looked up to Paul. Paul was kind of a, he had kind of a, a before his, uh, his transformation and before Christ revealed himself to Paul, he was kind of a thug. As a matter of fact, we know that he basically supervised the killing of another Christian. He, he, he sat back kind of with his arms folded, and, and there was the, a guy by the name of Stephen. This is in the book of Acts. And, and they literally um, they were throwing rocks, and they, they stoned Stephen to death. And he was the one who kind of said, yeah, it's cool. Go ahead and throw. I don't know if he's dead, so throw a couple more just in case. And he was that guy. Then he goes through, and he has this, this miraculous thing that happens. We'll talk more about the other miracles that he was a part of. And the Apostle Paul had this experience after, after basically supervising the death of Stephen where the Lord Jesus reveals himself to Paul, totally blowing up Paul's reality. As a matter of fact, he was stricken blind because that's what Paul, in that situation, Paul had to be driven to his knees. He was, he was a control freak, but he had to be taken, uh, had to have that control taken away. He was stricken blind. And then he was allowed to have his eyesight back. And then in the midst, the Lord revealed himself to Paul. And Paul surrendered his life to him. So Paul is uh, somebody who wrote most, uh, most of the New Testament. And you kind of see his name a lot um, around our church. But 2 Corinthians 12 is what we're going to read. But I want to read you the backstory. It kind of help you about this, and it's literally one chapter back. You can hold there. I'm going to go through this fast and furious style. Um, now I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. And this is, Paul is giving a defense to the church because there was, the, there was this group amongst the church who kind of came in, and they were calling themselves like super apostles. Now, they didn't like don the cape and, you know, like, you know, the blue suit with, with, you know, with the big A, like I'm a super apostle kind of thing. You know, it wasn't like a Marvel character, but they kind of came in, and Paul was away from the church, and he had heard that these people were claiming to, to have the superior truth. And they had kind of come in, and they were, they were mixing a little bit of truth and a little bit of air, and it's kind of like mixing like the purest of water with just a little bit of cyanide. Is any of that water good to drink? Tell me. No. It's the same thing when it comes to truth and error. And these super apostles were coming in and they were trying to basically make a mockery of the church and the people and saying, they'll take a little bit of truth and they'll take a little bit of error and mix it together and hope that nobody realizes that it's bad. Well, Paul sniffs it out and he realizes there's a problem. So he goes to do what Paul did many times and he confronts that evil. And he says, are they Hebrews? Talking about these super apostles. He says, are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? 
so am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he, in parentheses, I love this, he says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Just such a, he's, it's so raw. And I love how the Word of God has that. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. It's like, why am I doing this? It's almost rhetorical. And he says, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. He says, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger of bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger of Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure with the concern for all the churches. So he starts out, and it seems like a rant, but he's trying to allow uh, his audience, the initial audience, and us to realize, hey, these people are claiming to have all the answers, claiming that they are the chosen one, and he says, by my pedigree, I, I'm, I've, already, I've, already proven, um, I, I've already proven that you should have, be doing the things that I've already told you to do. Why are you believing this false, this false message? And we see this in the text, starting in verse 12. kind of continues the same thought. He says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. He says, I will go to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in this body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So Paul's telling him, he says, I really don't want to keep on, just, it, it, I'm not trying to brag about myself. This isn't a matter of what everything that I've done. He says, as a matter of fact, I don't want to put myself on the pedestal. But, but they were forcing him so he would, re, he would basically go through and give an explanation of his pedigree and his credentials as an apostle. And he says, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. He's talking about himself. But he's referring to himself in the third person, therefore not to put himself on a pedestal. Not to put himself on a pedestal. He says, I I'm, I'm going to tell you about a man, but he is, he is that man. But he's speaking in the third person because all, the, all he wants them to know is Christ and Him glorified. He doesn't want the church in Corinth to sit back and say, Ooh, the Apostle Paul, man, you're a smart guy. Look at him. He is so smart. He's done so many things for the gospel. That isn't even the point. As a matter of fact, we see in verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. There's some mystery in the idea of the third heaven, but he's talking about something that happened and a secret he has kept for 14 years. How many people in our culture if they were to have an experience like this, would wait 14 years to tell someone else. They wouldn't, would they? What they would do is they would go to your local Christian book publisher and they would say, I have a bestseller. All you need to do is find me somebody to help write all this down with and we're going to make millions. Right? Isn't that what would happen? All these experiences and the books, you know, 
whatever, 14 Minutes in Heaven. All, what, I, I'm not sure that's the title, but all these books about going to heaven. And they're like so quick to put that out there. But the reality is they do that for their own gain many times, and they make money off of it. The Apostle Paul kept the secret for 14 years. 14 years. And the only reason he's letting it out here, and I believe, it doesn't say this in the Scripture, but I believe that he wasn't even going to say this at all, that he was just going to kind of keep it in himself, but he felt forced to be to go through and explain his credentials as an apostle. So he says, I, this has happened 14 years ago, and I was caught up to the third heaven. Now the idea of the third heaven, this is very complicated. I'm not going to go in super detail because there's still mystery in this. You know, even in the Bible, many, many people, maybe you in here, have questions about the Bible and you think, well, you know, the Bible doesn't make sense. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of mystery in the Bible that people don't understand. But we'll have to wait till we get to heaven about. And that's something that you see here, this reference to the third heaven. And what it, what it has been uh, conveyed at, the, the, three, the three levels, if you want to call it that, not levels of heaven, but it's kind of been broken down into three different sections. One of which would be the abode of the righteous, the, the righteous though who those who die in faith in Christ, and then a second would be the restoration of Eden. That's taken from Revelations two seven, and this idea of the third heaven is literally the the, the abode, the resting place of God. So Paul says, I I don't know if I went there physically or if I was like in a dream and I got to see this this vision and this this thing happen. He says, but all I can tell you is it's real to me. It happened 14 years ago. I'm telling you this because I want you to believe my message, not that, I, that, that they want, uh, rather that he wants them to think more highly of himself. He says, all I can tell you is about this experience that I had. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, but it happened. Verse 3, and he says, I know that this man, still himself, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise, which is a rendering of the third heaven. It's the same, same word, the abode of God. And he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except my weaknesses. You see, Paul was somebody who had all the answers early when he was a Pharisee persecuting Christians. He had all the answers he thought that he did. He was a well-trained rabbi from a very good school. If you were to ask him a question about the Old Testament law, he could tell you, just like that. He knew all the right answers. He knew the Bible inside and out, but he didn't know the God who wrote the Bible. He was so caught up in the words instead of the author. And, and you see right here, he says, I'm not even bragging about myself. Sure, I could brag about myself, but this isn't about me. He says, I'm only going to brag about my weaknesses, and we're going to see why. Verse 6, he says, even if I, should or if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I, would not be, because I would be speaking the truth. I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more highly of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Huh, interesting. Christians. That means the very thing that you say should be the very thing that you do. The very message that you try and preach to someone else, you also ought to have preached to you.
the Apostle Paul, he comes through and it, it, with such humility. It says in verse 7, he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there has been given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This thorn in the flesh. There's many times we'll, we, maybe if you've been around the church circuit a while, you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard of this, this thorn in the flesh, and we think, and maybe we've, we've, this has been talked about so many times. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most common things that Christians and non-Christians use to justify their sin. And they look at the Apostle Paul's experience and they say, well, you know what, here's such a great man of God, and even he had a thorn in the flesh, so we'll, dress, we'll try and justify our bad habits. We'll try and justify why it's okay to not forgive someone else. We'll try and justify why it's okay that I have this, I have this, this thing in my marriage, and you know, I'm not happy, and, 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 you know, and she just doesn't make me happy, and he doesn't make me happy. And you know what, Paul had the thorn in the flesh, and he, he didn't know how to handle what he... His situation, they, they use that out of context because he did know how to handle it. But Christians and non-Christians, especially in the South, have heard this. And they try and justify their own sin. They try and justify their own desires. They try and justify why what, what they want to believe is right. And saying that it's, you know, it's just a thorn in the flesh. It's just, some, it's just something that's always nagged me. And they've even used this to justify why they've struggled with sin over and over and over and over again. I have a friend of mine who struggles with addiction. And, and I see this all the time on Facebook. I see this. He struggles with addiction. Uh, he, he, don't, he doesn't want to talk about his addiction, but I see it on Facebook all the time. And he talks about something, and he puts, there's a specific song that he puts up that alludes to the same idea trying to justify his addiction. He's like, you know what? I, I, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really have a problem. I'm just a work in progress. And all he does is, he says, I'm a work in progress. And he has referred to me this text. Well, you know what? Even the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. True. But the Apostle Paul didn't want to draw attention to the thorn in the flesh. He wanted to draw attention to the Lord and how the Lord would help him in this situation. And if you look at it in the context that we just read together, the Apostle Paul says, there's every reason why I should brag about myself, but it would be foolishness. It'd be foolishness. And Christians, I have to tell you, with every sin brings death to something else. With every sin it brings death to something else. James 1, I believe it's verse 15, tells us that. That it starts with desire. This craving. And then all of a sudden we take this desire. And you allow that desire to kind of to grow in you. And then all of a sudden you have this, this sin just rooted in you. And it's growing in you. And it's consuming you. But if we were to understand Christian and non-Christian... If you would just begin to understand with every sin brings death to something else. If you struggle with an addiction, that addiction will cut you off from everybody else. And it will be everything to you. It happens over and over and over. If you struggle with pornography, 
I can tell you that root of pornography will be something in your life that you will begin to feed on and you will have the desire for and you will crave it and it will bring death to your marriage and all of your other relationships if you let it. When you are tempted, Christians, when you are tempted to gossip and you you have somebody who says something to you about someone else, you have to kill the desire to keep the message going. You have to kill the desire. You can stop it with desire. If you start to understand, as James tells us in chapter 1, that that sin will lead to death in something, do not minimize sin. It will bring destruction. The whole path that it takes will lead to destruction. Imagine the worst Cat 5 tornado ravaging the city of Dublin. That is what sin does in your life. The hidden sin and the sins that everybody else sees. And do not justify your sin and say, oh, you know what? I'm not perfect. The Bible's full of imperfect people. If the Apostle Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh, but the Apostle Paul never used that as a justification to maintain his sin. As a matter of fact, we don't even know what that thorn in the flesh was. We don't even know. Some people say that it was that it was the sin in his life. Some people say that, that it was a spiritual problem. That there was just this nagging sin that he just couldn't get over and he couldn't get over and he couldn't get over. Then there's a whole other level of, of theologians and people smarter than me have go through and they've they've just put out a laundry list of different type of physical ailments. All kinds of things. Everything from gallstones to gout to lice to to epilepsy, to all kinds of things. A speech impediment. And like smart people go through and they don't even have it all figured out. But one thing they're all sure about is this. Paul knew that he had a a thorn in the flesh, but he didn't like it. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a little bit better idea of the thorn in the flesh. A lot of times we we think of of a thorn. I took this off my rose bush. Um, If anybody wants to come um, and do any landscaping in my house, it is the sky is wide open for you to do that. I cannot stand landscaping, um, but but your pastor was not stabbed in the process of recovering this, so that's a good thing. Um, but this little thorn. A lot of times we think of a thorn in the flesh as just this this nagging thing, and like you can get through life and you, you nag about it. But the, literally, the word in that text more refers to a wooden stake. This is metal but more of a wooden stake. If you look at those two, you can live your life with this, right? If you have this in your shoe, you can walk, you're going to be in some pain, you're going to be doing some ooh and on, but you can survive, right? Step on that guy, right? What's happening? You're dead in your tracks. You see... For the Apostle Paul, it wasn't just a thorn in his flesh and, wow, I've just got this, this nagging thing and, you know, I've just got this little bit of arthritis in my hip and I don't know if I'm going to make it through another day. Whatever it was for the, the Apostle Paul was like a wooden stake driven into him. And he says, I've just got this thing about me. It's debilitating to me. It's not just a, a wimpy thorn that I'm just going to live the rest of my life with. There was something so real to him, so devastating to him, that he said, it's like a wooden stake driven into me whether it's an emotional ailment, a spiritual ailment, or a physical ailment, we're unsure. Maybe it's the fact that of all the horrible things that Paul had been a part of in the past, of the supervising of, of a Christian. You see, he was, he was not a Christian, 
He supervised the killing of a Christian, and then he became a Christian. I think even with that, you would be left with some guilt to have to sift through, right? And for the Apostle Paul, it wasn't just this, this thorn, and I'm just going to live the rest of my life, and I've just got this sin habit, and all of those things. He says, I don't know what it, or we don't know what it was, you know, down to the detail, but to him it looked much more like this than it did this. Let this be a visual for, for your sin in your life. With this would bring sure death. Right, church? You could limp through life with this, and you could pretend like this isn't there. You could hide this wherever the element is. You could hide it, and you could get through life. You're not hiding this. Sin brings death. 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 And if you have not received Jesus Christ in a personal way, I just have to tell you, the path and trajectory of your life leads to death and separation from God. Not just physical death, but complete separation away from God. That's more devastating than what my words can even explain, but yet, I have to tell you that. Because your sin isn't something... It's just this size, and you know, ow, it just pricked my finger. It's more like that. And sin brings death, destruction, devastation to everyone around you. If you're a father and you are in habitual sin in, 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 in your family, no, no matter what that habitual sin is, that sin that you're committing is making, an, or it is having an effect on everyone else in your family. You may, you may try and justify it away and say, well, it's just me and I'm going to do my own thing, but I'm just telling you the ripple effect of that. And it's a calf eye going through your family and it is bringing devastation. You may turn around and close your ears and I don't hear the whistling sound. There's no wind going on. There's nothing blowing around me. But I have to tell you, that sin leads to death. It leads to death. And it leads a path to a path of destruction. It was big for the Apostle Paul. It was, a, it was a big problem, no matter what the problem was. He, views, he viewed it as something that he would, he would probably not ever be able to get over. And we see this starting in verse 8. Back to our text, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You see, he, he knew that that torment came from Satan. God never leads someone to sin. Satan leads, leads people to sin. It starts with that desire, and he leads, it, he leads people into sin because Satan knows that it will leave a path of destruction, and that's exactly what he wants your relationship, relationships to be like. That's what he wants your finances to be like. That's what he wants your whole life to be ridden with. It's just devastation. And Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to, to take it away from me. He says, I prayed, I prayed about this. And I believe he prayed more than three times. He says, I've just, I kept praying about this. And I've just got this, this stake, this, this thing in my life, whether it's a physical ailment that was impairing him, or an emotional ailment that, was impairing, or, you know, imp- that he was impaired by, or whether it was a spiritual thing. We're unsure. But to the Apostle Paul, he knew that for some reason God had allowed it to happen. And that's a little unsettling, if we're honest. 
You see, you can't just you can't just pray a little a little petty prayer and just kind of throw it out there and God will you help me with this. When things really get difficult, can you? You can't just explain things away when you know that you're the cause of it. You can't try and justify the sin in your life and just say, well, you know what, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and it was just his thing and I'm going to have my thing and I'm supposed to deal with this the rest of my life. You see, if you have freedom in Christ, you're not... Many times, the sins that we bring in our life are, are not many times, all times, we bring it upon ourselves. But we can look at this text, whether it was, it was Paul's sin nature of physical ailment, whatever the case may be, and we know that he says he, that he pleaded with God. Three different times he pleaded with God. I just think of this, that he's just to his knees and he's just broken before God. And he's just pleading with Almighty God, please take this away from me. I've just got this, this stake, this thing is so holding me back. And to me it's so real. But look what God's response is in the next verse. Verse 9. But he, the Lord, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul is being told this very personal truth. The weaker you become, the more powerful you'll become. The more humble that you become, you've had all these amazing things happen in your life, but the more humble that you become, the more exalted you will be. The more humble that you will become, the more strength that you will find. The Apostle Paul couldn't work this out himself. He had to plead with God. And though I'm not completely satisfied with God's response, because, you know what, it, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be roses, no pun intended, with the thorn. But yet, look at the truth of verse 9. God tells him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. This idea of power, it's, it's, it's an amazing word. It's a divine power. And this, this idea of made perfect, that means you don't have to add anything to it, that you will become complete. You'll become all that you were supposed to be. And the Apostle Paul continues, verse 9, he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Listen to this. He says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christians, you may feel like you are the weakest Christian on the face of the earth. And I will tell you, you are prime for God's activity in your life. You have to become weak so you can become strong in Him. You can go through and live your life under your own power and your own strength. And I'll be honest with you, God will let you. He'll let you. He will. God doesn't force Himself on anyone but He makes Himself available to everyone. Do you get that? 
He doesn't force Himself on you. He doesn't, he doesn't haunt you. He doesn't do all these things. He just says, you know what? I'm right here. I'm right here. Whenever you get sick of looking at that, the destruction of that Cat 5 in your life, just know that I'm right here. I've always been here. Understand that that, that, that sin leads to death and it leads to destruction, not only for you, but everyone around you. The Apostle Paul, he points to a brilliant truth. When I am weak, then I will become strong. Are you weak or are you strong? Are you one of those long-term Christians that like you, you know more Scripture than what I know and you're not afraid to tell everybody else about all the truth that you know and boast about everything that you've learned and experiences that you've had and all these Bible studies that you've been in and all these, these experiences and all of these things and yet what you're telling me is I'm operating my, under my own power. It's all my own power. I've got this taken care of. Everything's controlled. It's all about me. Look at me. I've got it all figured out. I would say if that's, if that's your story, you are in the worst possible place that you could be in because you are just bent for destruction. And the more that we puff ourselves up, the farther we have to fall. But yet when we're down, when we're weak, we truly become strong. I know there's difficulty in this message. I've, I live this difficulty. And yet I know that, that there is a God who desires relationship with us. I know that there's, there's a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Not just everybody else's sins, our sins. And that that is an open invitation because He already did what, what He said He was going to do. And now we can either, in this life, we can either choose to accept Jesus and the strength that comes with it, or we can reject Jesus and basically live in our own little existence, our own little petty existence, and we will continually be weak, and we will continually live in sin, and we'll feed those desires, and it will lead to a path of destruction. Simply put, that's the choices that we have. But for the Christian, non-Christian, not so much. But for the Christian... You may feel like, you know what, I've been, I've been struggling with this thing for 10 years. I've got, this, I've got this unsettling within me. Maybe it's a 10, 20, 30 year journey you've been on. My hope, my prayer for you is so that you, you would find what the Apostle Paul talks about. That in your weakness, that you will find God's strength. Several years ago, I was at the gym and... I, you know, I basically just go in there to kill time, to be honest with you. I'd go in there, it was at lunchtime, everybody else was doing it, so I thought, I'll go to the gym. And my insurance covered it, which was, you know, I didn't even have to justify an expense, so it was awesome. And I went in there, and uh, and everything was fine, it was over my lunchtime, and I'm in there working out, you know, talking more than working, and all of a sudden I put this, I put the plate on the bar, I was going to do some bench pressing, and I put one plate up and everything's fine. And then I go to the other side, and I had done this several times. It's not like a lot of weight. I should have been able to do this with no problem. I went and I, I, I picked up the other weight, and I tried, to, I tried to put it on the bar. And I didn't have pain, but I couldn't lift it. And I was like, 
that's kind of weird. Never had this happen before. So then I thought, well, maybe I'm just a little bit weaker in one arm. And I, I tried to kind of grab it with my dominant hand and, and kind of lift it up with my other hand. But what I found out was I had no strength on my right arm. I mean, I was like Popeye, olive oil, you know, all at the same time. You have that visual for the rest of our time together. I apologize. But it, it was just so weird. It's like this, this whole side of my body was just with no strength whatsoever. So I went to the doctor a couple times. First time he went in and he said, I don't know what's wrong with you. Thanks, Doc. That's awesome. You know, I'm glad I paid my copay. Um, enjoy your big house. You're great. You know, I'm never coming back. So I went to the doctor and he says, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe you worked it out too hard. I said, no, I just got there. I didn't work it out too hard. I don't know. So I went home and I kind of shouldered it, but it never got better. And then all of a sudden I started to have some pains. But at first it was just completely weak. Like I couldn't I couldn't even pick up a backpack that week. It was weird. Then I go back to a different doctor, and, uh, and he, he goes through and he says, I'm not really sure what it is, but I think you have a pinched nerve. I was like, well, it seems like a good explanation to me. WebMD didn't really help me on this one. Um, so I went in and tried to you know, be my own doctor. That didn't work. So come to find out, he said that, that he thought I had a pinched nerve. And yet, in that moment, there's a truth for all of us. There's a really... An incredible truth for all of us. You see, when we pray, when we pray, that's the nerve that moves the muscle of God. When we pray, it's the nerve that moves the muscle of God. So we tap into His strength and His power. When we pray, and when we really pray, when we go through and we go before a holy God, we realize that we're weak, just like my arm was weak, pitifully weak. And that nerve stopped all strength to happen. But when we pray, and we go, when we go before the, the Almighty and the most powerful and the Holy of Holies, we go before the Lord Jesus, and we, when we do so, it is, in essence, it's the nerve that moves the muscle of God. And it's telling God, you know what, I don't have it all figured out but I know that you do. I want to tell you as your pastor, as your friend, somebody who loves you, I don't have it all figured out. I'm on a journey too. But I know that there's a God who died on the cross to take away my sins and your sins. And I know that He leaves a welcome invitation to you so you can go before Him humbly and say, I am weak, you are strong. And if you do that, there's no... There's no special way of doing this. There is no, no, no exact way in the Bible that you have to say this, you have to do that. It's all a matter of the condition of your heart. But you can go before Him and just come humbly before Him and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I know that You are God and I am not. Please come into my life and save me. You can pray something like that. And what you see, you can develop a prayer life that you've never had before. And you will find and you will learn and you will understand and you will be able to experience the fullness of the life that the Lord Jesus wants you to live. But we have a choice. We have a choice. Because Christ did what He, was, what he said He was going to do, what we needed Him to do.
We just have to choose to accept it. 